The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Bobby and I have always, like, when we were a threesome, we would just lay these uh, crazy nutty songs on Mark, and he'd go, I can't play this. And, you know, we'd get it together. But, uh, yeah, we have Jack writing a couple songs on this record. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jack is also our newest member, incidentally. Jack White. Hi, we're waving to Jack. (laughs) I also want to apologize for my technical difficulties. It seems to be my big test in life. (laughs) Yes. Well, hey. No need to apologize. Welcome to the season four finale of the Third Men podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. As you can hear, we did not do a stupid skit for the opening of this episode. I am sure most of you are rejoicing over this fact. Some Um, of you, at least. Yeah. uh, You know, some may be weeping. Yeah, well, you know, we didn't do a skit for this episode because, you know, this episode deals with some tough topics at times. We are very excited to welcome back to the podcast uh, Mr. Bobby Harlow, who is the co-founder and lead singer of The Go, the band The Go, which we love. And as listeners of the podcast will know, we had Mr. Bobby Harlow on earlier in the fall uh, in this fourth season of the Third Men podcast. And Bobby talked to us for quite a while there, but we decided to have him back on the show because The Go have begun a very cool donation project to support the protests that are springing up not only in this country, but around the world. The Black Lives Matter movement, the band The Go has created a website, which is www.thego4blm.com where you can go and donate $5 and above and receive their entire catalog of music, which is really, really cool. Yeah, it's not only the entire Go catalog, you would also receive some of Bobby and John's solo ventures as well as the Conspiracy of Allo stuff. It's super, super cool stuff, and it's all for a really great cause. Again, the website's www.thego4blm.com, the Go number four blm.com you can read a little blurb that they have there and uh, donate to two of the charities that they have set up 
Yeah, those great causes are the Equal Justice Initiative and the Bail Project, uh, which both go to support, you know, people who are putting their lives on the line to stand up for what they believe in. And this season's been really a big one for us, but it changed pretty dramatically in 2020 when the world kind of changed pretty dramatically. And we've been carrying on over here and giving you lots of cool third man records and Jack White and rock and roll content to enjoy in that time. But the fact that the world has been, in a lot of cases, uh, lit on fire or exposed to have been on fire this whole time, in a lot of instances, you know, none of that has escaped us. The uh, global pandemic, all this unrest in the country, and of course, the murder of George Floyd, which ignited this movement in this country, or rather, ignited this latest movement for equal justice in this country you know all these events are pretty heavy and james and i try and keep things light on this show but that doesn't mean that we don't care about things that are important and we wanted to take this season finale of our fun rock and roll show to give you some more fun rock and roll, because there is fun rock and roll in this episode. I'm, I'm making this sound like this is going to be a really, really heavy episode. There's, there's a moment where we, we use some strong language when we're describing the, um, the protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd and the discussion of police violence in this country. And, you know, we do, there, there's about 20 minutes there, which, you know, if you're sensitive to those kinds of trigger phrases and things like that, then you, I don't want to say turn it off, but if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, maybe skip around a bit, but definitely don't skip around on this initiative that Bobby Harlow has set up for The Go here, which is again, www.thego4blm.com, where for $5 and up, you can make a donation and receive the entire Go catalog of music. And as James mentioned, the solo efforts from Bobby and John and the Conspiracy Vowels stuff, a lot of really interesting box set materials, including Jack White lead vocals on a couple Go songs and some live cuts, really cool stuff. I mean, I'm still chewing on them, and we'll get into a bit of the contents of that when we jump to the interview with Bobby Harlow here. But yeah, just a heads up for everybody, there's going to be a bit of strong language in this episode, but we think it's important, and we wanted to make sure Bobby had an open forum to express what he believes in. And James and I, you know, wanted the ability to talk frankly about subjects, which are frankly at times uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's important, I think to have this discussion. And I realized that this kind of show can be an escape for some people. Uh, so we wanted to get it out there that, uh, you know, we, we realized that some people, have lived these kinds of uh, with these kinds of traumas every day and it can make them uncomfortable. So uh, like Paul said, be aware of that. We will be talking about that for a little bit. But like Paul said, we also, uh, you know, I think we need to discuss this. I mean, I, I realize that uh, we are two people who <laughs> kind of live in privilege. So this is an important conversation. I think everybody should be having and we're trying to do our part as best as we can. Yeah. Look, we promise there'll be fun rock and roll talk in this as well. But we also recognize that, you know, rock and roll is built 
on the foundations of black music in America. And so it's on us to educate ourselves about black issues, because at the end of the day, black issues are just human issues. And so I think all this stuff is really important. And, you know, we it's not all heavy, but it's important that we respect the subject matter and we give it the attention it deserves. And we hope you all will as well. And donate to the wonderful program that Bobby and John have set up for The Go, which is, again, www.thego4blm.com, which goes to organizations which are meant to get out there and help support those who are trying to affect change in the world. All that stuff is super important. And a fitting end to our season four. And, you know, instead of doing what we normally do, James, I think we're going to get right into the interview here. Yeah. We're going to jump right in. We're going to go right to our interview with Bobby Harlow from The Go. And I hope you all enjoy it. We talked for a long time. Bobby was super generous with his time. And there was a lot of interesting stories, particularly the Jack White stories um, toward the end of the interview. I found especially enlightening for a couple things. And I think you might too. So I hope you enjoy this. Thank you for sticking around for season four. We'll meet you back here after the interview james what do you say should we jump to it yeah uh let's let's get to this interview i've been recording this whole time we're done this is it i had five minutes (laughs) and five minutes (laughs) (laughs) oh man we weren't getting any of that classic audio yet james are you recording i i am in fact let me double check Triple check. I am, in fact, recording. Yeah, Bobby, um, we had uh, Brendan Benson on the other day, and it, as it turned out, James wasn't recording for half of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. He doesn't have anything to say anyway. <laughs> it was a real good use of his time. So you had Brendan on. What's he up to? What is he well, doing these days? He's got, a, he's got a new album out, which he was really excited about and ready to get out and tour the world with. And then the world got lit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He has a new record coming out. And he's um, Mike Wartella, a friend of mine, did a video for Brendan. Oh. That oh. I saw. The one with the horse and the roller skating and stuff? I don't know. It's or was it the animated one? Animated. Oh, cool. Okay. Animated video. The richest man, I think, is the song. Uh, that video is great. Yeah. Yeah, Mike's really good. Yeah, he's he's yeah. great. He he could. I yeah. I know you're in the market for an animator for a, a solo project, which we will get to in a moment. But um, you know, he might be a good one. I don't know. I'm just saying. Mike would be a good animator for my solo project. For your second solo, well, we'll, we'll talk about Doctor Puerco in a moment. Oh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, Paul, you're really taking Bobby for a ride here. <laughs> I know. I'm like, where are we going? Why are you recommending my friend? I, you know, I don't. What are you talking about? What's happening? Um, Why does this happen when I get on with you guys? This is twice now. That record is shelved forever, though. That record's gone Ugh. forever. There's some music. I, 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 could, I could probably share some music with you from it. I don't even know if I have any music from that. Maybe I've heard something fairly recently. But Ooh. it's not that exciting. I don't Ooh. know that the other one's that exciting either. But hear us out. The packaging could be the shelf that you have it shelved on. Because there's ooze nice. anyway, right? It's Dr. Porco drinks the ooze or something. So like it could, you could have the ooze yes. up there. Really pressuring you to do this thing you don't want to do. <laughs> like we're just spitballing here, okay? We're throwing some spaghetti. We're going to see what sticks. Yeah. 
Um, we huh. should. Well, count- uh, it's 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 not good. It's really not good. You know. <laughs> All right. The other record's good. It is. The other record's actually good. And I say that objectively because I'm so far removed from it that I'm kind of shocked that it's good at all. (laughs) And the stuff that came after it and the stuff that was before it is terrible. Uh So it's kind of like this little miracle that that little record sounds like it's listenable, (laughs) you know? I mean, not only listen – well, look, I want to – we're going to get into that. I Okay, so we should do a quick count in. Bobby, this is that embarrassing part. I know you wanted included in the last interview. I thought it was the best part of the interview after I listened to it. <laughs> Frankly, it's when we sounded the most personable and enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we're going to do three, two, one, go very slowly. Okay, ready? Yep. Three. Three. Two. two. We would like to welcome back to the program, Mr. Bobby Harlow. Bobby, thank you for joining us again. This is wonderful having you back here. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. We are here today to talk about a wonderful new initiative that you, Bobby, have begun, a wonderful new donation initiative, which is the Go for Black Lives Matter. And it's a twofold initiative that we're going to to talk about here, wherein for a donation to the Go for Black Lives Matter website. You can go to www.thegoforblacklivesmatter.com, the go, the number four, blm.com. For a donation to the bail project, I guess it's split two ways, right? Between the bail project and the Equal Justice Initiative, you can get the entire Go catalog, including a brand new release, which is a brand old release, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. Your debut solo project, which we actually touched on a little bit when last you were on the show, as well as solo work from John Krautner and a slew of other just, I mean, all the Go records, Conspiracy of Owls, the box sets. It's an amazing package here, and it starts at $5. So if you donate $5 and up, you can just own the whole Go catalog. And it's such a wonderful initiative, Bobby, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what spurred on, you know, the idea to do this and to release it in this way and tell people a little bit about what inspired you to do it. Sure. Well, the public execution of George Floyd, you know, is what mm-hmm. what inspired us to do it. When I watched the footage, like, you know, millions and millions of other people, I couldn't make it through the following few days without thinking about it. I couldn't focus, you know, and I just felt like uh, we needed to chime in on this. And we, who are we, you know, we're, uh, we're nobody. I mean, I've got, you know, a thousand Facebook followers or something, but I just felt like, uh, and the go is a small band. And I, and I but I thought um, it's important in this moment for everybody who's willing and, and has half a, brain and a heart to just put something up, you know, and to donate and, and money, money works. If you can't, you know, physically put yourself in harm's way by getting out and protesting, you know, with everybody else who's out there who's very brave and risking their safety, then reach into your pocket and, and support those who do. And so that's exactly what we did. So we thought about it and, you know, I wrote a, a message you know, to people about it online. And um, 
and so far we've uh, we've raised over four thousand. Wow! And, oh, nice. And That's great. Yeah, it's something. You know, I wish um, I've tried to. I think a lot of artists, a lot of artists are are, are contributing and, and doing things um, in this moment, in this critical moment where where people need to band together to stand up against racism. I think a lot of artists are doing a lot, but I, I've been encouraging all independent artists. Like, what are you doing? Just put put your music up, you know, and donate. And then we saw uh, just the other, just yesterday, Juneteenth, you know, that band camp donated uh, its share of any sales. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, to Black Lives Matter. I'm not sure that they donated directly to, I could get that wrong. They may not have donated directly to the Black Lives Matter nonprofit group. I don't know where they donated, but in support of Black Lives Matter, they did it. So, mm-hmm. And uh, a fellow uh, Detroit rocker, Tim Volger, who's, you know, was uh, the front guy in the cloned effects and, and also Human Eye and yeah. now has Timmy's Organism. He did it as well. Yeah. Uh, he was he was inspired by what we were doing, and he um, he went ahead and, and made an announcement and said uh, he's against racism, and he's putting up any money that anybody anybody goes on his band camp and downloads anything. All the monies he's going to donate to, uh, I believe, directly to Black Lives Matter and maybe to the NAACP. Very nice. Oh yeah, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, I believe. Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's a great trusted source. here the the bail project and the equal justice initiative how did you settle on those two particular charities to donate to oh we looked into we thought about it and we figured that the bail project uh we were going to donate to the minnesota bail fund i forget what the name of it is but actually they're so overwhelmed by donations which is incredible that they're recommending the bail project which is national and uh does exactly what the name suggested helps people make bail and right now you know you people are out there protesting and and they're getting uh thrown in jail cops are using uh excessive force in a lot of cases and people are getting thrown in jail and they need help so the bail project helps and then the equal justice initiative is maybe more of a longer term plan this was a a company uh founded in you know the early 90s, late 80s by a lawyer. They fight to protect people's rights uh, to a fair trial. They delve uh, deeper into cases uh, where they believe the innocent have been wrongfully accused. And so this is important because uh, people that need help generally need lawyers. Right. And you need lawyers to, to fight for, historically, lawyers are, are the ones that fight for people uh, who are at a disadvantage. Right. You know, by supporting these organizations, hopefully the uh, uh, some good can can be done mm-hmm. because it's long overdue. It's horrifying. I'm sure, you know, you guys will agree, but you know, it's it's horrifying that that here we are in the 21st century uh, staring at this racism 
this blatant racism. I mean, the public execution of human beings on uh, watching it on YouTube. You know, it's caught with a camera. And that's the thing about that. You know, what is it about the George Floyd footage? Because obviously there's been a long history of this. You know, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. And with George Floyd, what is it that triggers people so hard? on that you'd think well it, it should just be the somebody that's that's getting executed by a cop but people have also seen this before and there has never that i've seen in my lifetime been such sort of a rally around making a change and people standing up and saying absolutely no more this is it and i don't know what that moment is that really triggers people is it the cop with that horrible half smirk on his face with his hands in his pockets is it the other cop that's standing in front, seemingly totally unaffected by the fact that his partner is in the back murdering a human being in the street in front of an audience? I don't know. Is it George Floyd who is desperate and saying that he can't breathe? Ask for his mother? I don't know. But um, looking at watching that cop kneel on George Floyd is just telling of how comfortable racists feel how confident they are how confident they are in this world and then you have now millions of people standing up and saying absolutely no more no no way no more and um it's just such an important moment right now that everybody should be involved it feels like a reckoning a little and i think you know like what you're saying i think the graphic nature of the video is one aspect of it and the other aspect of it is people have already had a really tough year and this is just like no we're not doing this anymore you know that's what the reaction i think a lot of it is too is just all this pent-up frustration and then to see that on top of it all it's causing people to just say this is it we have to do something and like every big socio-political or human rights movement in history whether it be the me too movement or the lgbtq rights movement or even the civil rights struggles in the 1960s there's almost always a catalyst which is unfortunately almost always horrific and in my opinion it's on all of us to do what we can even if it's in some small way to help change the world in a positive way and that starts with yourself So one easy thing to do is to donate to good causes. And The Go has provided a really easy way to donate some money and get some cool tunes in the process. So it's really great. And and for anyone interested, you know, Bobby has written a lot of great messages and um, and posts on his uh, Facebook page. And really all you need to see is in The Go, on The Go for blacklivesmatter.com the mission statement there kind of just kind of says it all so we encourage all of our listeners to similarly donate their money if you can't be physically out there doing something about it you still can do something you know you still can try and change the way you think try and change the way you you talk try and change the way you act and to put some money in a good place that's how i feel too exactly well put do something that's you're obligated to do something in this moment so we have to face it you know we have to face racism and also with the me too movement you know a lot of people and and honestly uh many people in detroit that were in the rock and roll scene when me too gained momentum there were people that were outed and 
they were excommunicated from that rock and roll scene, swiftly excommunicated over that. There wasn't too much dialogue about it. And similarly with the police force, if there's excessive force, the person shouldn't have a badge. That's it. And I think that's what people – I mean I don't know, all right? But I think that's what people want. That's what they need out of this. That's part of what they need out of this, that there's going to be consequences and they're going to be severe. You know, and I hope with racism, just in general. I mean, I saw recently, I saw a clip of a woman, a Caucasian, yelling at an African-American family. Okay, she was using the N-word. She was telling them that they don't belong here. And it went on and on. And in my opinion, that woman needs to be in jail. And there needs to be some kind of an equalizer out there. And this equalizer is supposed to be the police force that's supposed to protect people. Because, look, I have a family. And if someone were to harass my family and scream at my children and terrorize my kids, I expect that I would be able to pick up the phone, call the cops, and have that person arrested. But it doesn't work that way. And especially not in the African-American community. And that has to change. And how's it going to change? By really sort of rethinking what the hell the police force is all about. Who's in there? Who are these people that have these badges? I mean, when people say defund the police, they're not saying take all the money away from the police. What they're saying is that you need to retarget what cops are actually doing. And that sort of goes in hand in hand with what you're saying. There is obviously there has to be some way to root out the excessive force using cops or racist cops, all that stuff. That's one thing. But the other thing is you need different types of people to respond to different types of crises. And that's what all of that is about there. And so this is an opportunity. Look, this pandemic has forced all of our hands in not really having a choice, but to rethink how we operate in the world. So now is the time. Now's the time to do it. You know, if there was ever a time to do it and to really take a hard look about what cops do, why they do it, et cetera, now's the time. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of listeners out there who might think this couldn't happen near me. It was especially true. Like I, for a while, I was like, I lived in New Jersey. New Jersey was famously, you know, liberal and all that stuff. But no, it, it happens there all the time. I have friends who over the past few days have been posting videos of them protesting, getting jeered at. Like Bobby said, the N-word being thrown their way, getting clouds of smog from trucks purposefully put in their face. So, yeah, something needs to happen. People are standing up now, even though this has been happening for so long and it's nothing new. But uh, I think some people's eyes have been recently opened to these things. And these causes are a worthwhile thing to donate to and to volunteer for if you can't donate to or you know even just support it in any way you can honestly this couldn't be easier for the album list that you have here with the go if you just go to the go the number four blm.com you can pick how much you donate and it'll go to a great cause and there's there's still time to do it and uh, you get access to a whole bunch of amazing content by one of the best uh, bands out there especially that came out of detroit we got every go album 
from 1999 onwards to solo stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a worthwhile cause. They have it going to the Equal Justice Initiative and the Bail Project. There are many charities out there, though. You know, I mean, if, if somebody wanted to choose something else, they could donate to the NAACP. They could donate to the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. They could mm-hmm. donate directly to Black Lives Matter, who fights for justice and equality, just like the other ones do. So pick it and get behind it and reach into your wallet and help people. And that's that's the thing when it comes to like putting up our whole catalog. So what is this? This music isn't important. I mean, it is to people, but it's it's worthless unless you make it sort of, unless we make it worth something. We use it for some purpose. That's And that was some motivation for this too. It's like, here, what do we have? My job, my chosen profession has been, you know, artist or musician or something. Well, Okay, well, here is all this music. Put it up. Maybe this can raise some money and be put to, to good use to do something actually meaningful. Right. And other people should as well. And look, we're three white guys talking about this with, and I don't want to speak for everybody on the call here, but, you know, at least in the case of myself, you know, with dramatically different perspective on the world than the people who are currently really suffering under the systemic problems in American society and and, and societies all around the world. But that doesn't mean that me as a white guy can't do anything. And of course, I don't claim to have all the answers. But you know, one thing I can do is listen. And you know, no matter who you are, you can listen, you can be supportive, you can think about your actions, and you can try and help support the cause. If you're against racism, Say you're against racism. Go on social media and say, I'm against racism. Say it out loud so you can hear yourself say it. Mm-hmm. Pick a side. This is a moment where people are really this is divided. There's, there's two, there are two camps here, racist and not racist. Which side are you on? You know, And not to go too much off on a, on a tangent, but that concerns me when I see people that aren't speaking up in this moment. Why? Why the silence? Why don't you have an opinion? What are you afraid of? What is that about? I suspect the worst, you know, prove me wrong. All right. So if you're a friend on on my Facebook or on my Instagram and you're not speaking out and saying I'm against racism, what am I going to think? What is what message does that send? It's an important thing to be an ally and let people know that uh, you're there for them. No question. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> be against racism. <laughs> That's what it boils um, down to is just don't be an asshole. Yeah, or be a human being. Just a, just a human yeah. being. You know, when I said earlier, exactly. anybody with half a brain or a heart, well, what I should say is actually what I meant to say was, uh, you know, anybody with a, just, a, just an ounce of empathy, you yeah, know, right. anybody that's got a little, a little bit of empathy other than, you know, somebody who's just a complete soulless terrible individual, racist individual. Well, outside of that, you just have to have a little empathy to be able to get behind what's going on right now. You know, get on the right side of history, as they say, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we're recording this on Father's Day weekend, and all the three of us are fathers. And so, you know, we have an obligation to our kids to teach them the right thing, too, and to make sure that they understand that everybody needs a fair shake. And uh, everybody yeah. needs to care about one another and be empathetic. And so, and now's the moment. Yeah. So let's seize it. Yep. My son is 11 years old. All right. Now, Tamir Rice was 12 years old when he was murdered by a rookie cop because he had a pellet gun. And that rookie cop was afraid of that child's skin. Now, 
a 12-year-old child, again, my son's 11, this is a baby. It's a baby. My son watches Scooby-Doo, loves popsicles, reads Peanuts comics, likes to snuggle. Okay? And that horrible non-human entity called a cop murdered that child because he was afraid of the color of that child's skin. That child was holding a pallet gun. This is where we're at in the 21st century. It's barbaric. Reduce everybody down to sticks and stones and build a new society because we don't deserve indoor plumbing and electricity. You know, we call ourselves human. We're not. And we're going to have to face that as well. Because, you know, this is also an American issue, but this is also a global issue. And there are atrocities across the world right now that we could get into if you wanted to go there for the next eight hours of conversation. Talk about, you know, atrocities that are that are going on genocide in, in the Middle East. So, you know, we call ourselves human and that's supposed to carry a lot of weight, but we're not such a such an advanced civilization. We're still pretty barbaric. And when I say pretty barbaric, I don't mean to even make light of that. We're barbaric. Well I tell you what gives me hope is that in the face of some pretty monumental uh, machines of war being deployed, protests remained peaceful. And that gives me a lot of hope. Yes. I was really proud that people took the opportunity not to be equally antagonistic against the mountain of weaponry and force that they were being threatened with and that they were actually, that were used on them. And they chose that moment to be peaceful and to speak their minds and to force the issue of change. I think we will, at least I hope we do see lasting change from this. And yeah, I'm proud of everybody who's out there doing it. It's not easy, you know, it's not easy to to get out there and and to march and all that stuff with a global pandemic going on. But we're proud of everybody who's doing that. And and that's, uh, that's wonderful. I hope everybody's staying as safe as possible. I feel the same way, which is why uh, we want to uh, to support it. I feel the exact same way about these peaceful demonstrations because, you know, the end goal is, you know, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, you want to be able to have change happen within the system. The end goal isn't to fight the police. Right. The police are standing in between, all right, the government and the people. You've got the people who want their voices heard. You've got the government that needs to f***ing listen and change. And then you've got the police in the middle there, you know, as the guard dogs. I completely agree with you that the way the path forward is by maintaining the peace as much as humanly possible at these demonstrations. No question. If you have donated already to uh, what Bobby set up for, uh, again, the website, www the go the number four blm.com if you have donated already thank you for doing that i did i hope you do too if you haven't yet there's still time the payouts are going to be done in chunks bobby uh, as as we as we hit thresholds yeah. i guess or is it more of over time kind of thing no we're just uh, you know on on a weekly basis or when money accumulates we've already donated uh you know three thousand so a fifteen hundred dollar check was sent to uh each uh non-profit and um and we're going to do it. We're going to do it again soon. I'd like to mention. Uh, sure, you can go on our site and you can donate there, and you can have our whole catalog and and all that. Um, and if you're an artist, you can do the same. 
is the same as us. You know, you can organize something where people will will buy your music and you take that money and and you put it to good use. We were approached by a couple of different groups who asked us, well, how do we get all of this together? So we're actually working now on something where we're just trying to hash it all out, but but we're working on a site where other artists can contribute and then somebody can come in, come visit the site and donate money. They can have their pick of as much as they want. They could take the Goes catalog. They could take part of it. They could take oh, cool. art, other artists. Yeah. Because it's because also people just, hey, not everybody knows how to put all this stuff together. Right, and not just the Go and other artists, but you know, including your solo material, which we started to talk about last time you were on the show. I mentioned when last you were on the show, Bobby, we talked about, so you were digging through, I assume your attic, perhaps basement, some sort of storage space for the materials that Third Man was asking for, for like bonus features on the What You Do In Vault release, which was released last fall. And yeah. you you had mentioned to us that you came across your debut solo album in there, which is uh, is titled A Subtle Scare and is available on this download package. And you had mentioned you were working on it. And then I was delighted to see that included in this download package. It sounds wonderful, Bobby. Why the hell did you sit on this for 25 years or whatever? Like, what the fuck? Oh, man. Thanks for saying so. I don't know, because I was just distracted by other things. I, I didn't think it was very good and or, or I didn't I didn't really think about it at all. I don't know. I just didn't care. I was just on to different stuff. You know, I, I was working with John and Mark from the go and and I was more interested in what they were doing than what I had done in the past. Which is really, by the way, selfish and not fair to the other two musicians, Pete and Dan, who are on that record, who are brilliant guys, really good great talents. Well, so that's what I was going to ask. I was the musicianship yeah. is wonderful on there. I, I, so Pete and Dan, you said, and wh- which instruments did they play on it? Well, so Pete Bass is a drummer, was a drummer, mm-hmm. I think still is. And he's a terrific musician and a real interesting guy. And uh, he plays the drums, like he plays the guitar, like he plays the, the keyboard. Matter of fact, he was such a, an interesting character back then. He never stopped moving. You know, he's one of these guys who's just his leg just goes, so sit down and you talk with somebody and their knee won't stop bouncing. You know, he's one of, <laughs> one of those guys. They just can't stop fiddling with stuff. Somewhere Jerry Seinfeld is furiously scribbling that down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so Pete, he was the best drummer around. And I was trying to convince him to start a band with me. And he would not do it. I could not pin him down. And at the time, he lived in a little trailer that was just like one of those little sardine can trailers in a trailer park. And he lived there. And I would go over and visit him. And I would try to convince him with the power of persuasion to start a band. He was not interested at all. And then um, finally, I just got him to come over to my apartment and listen to music and just kind of be a part of little things here and there. 
And I think he ended up coming over just because he wanted to eat the food in my fridge. He would, come, <laughs> he would come over and he would always be hungry. So, he, you know, he was broke. So he'd come over and he'd eat and then we'd talk about rock and roll and then he might listen to something that I was working on. And that, that the last song on that record, I love, and it's just a, a keyboard. But one night... Pete was not in a very good mood and he was up there in this very like sweltering attic and I mean it was terribly hot up in this attic yeah and he was up there and we were, and it was sweaty and he was working on a guitar part with me we were messing around and he seemed very he, he just wasn't he wasn't happy he wasn't happy at all he wasn't smiling he wasn't it was awkward and so I sort of you know we sort of petered out on this whole thing and he ended up kind of like grabbing a keyboard that was on the ground and messing around with it. And I ended up walking away. So I went downstairs and grabbed a Coke or something. And I came back up and he was just playing this, just this real soulful, emotionally sort of connected runs, these runs on this keyboard. And he was just in his own world. And uh, I had the presence of mind to just hit record on the four track (laughs) tape recorder i just let it run out to the end of the tape so then the end of that keyboard part it cuts and then it's the that's the end but that takes me right back to that moment in time and i love that's my it's my favorite part of the record that's the origin of pete's blues it's a great way to to close the record Addicts <laughs> seem to be a uh, a running theme in Detroit. Uh, is is that just <laughs> is that just where everyone wants to record their music? It's just in the hottest attic they can find. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody nobody's got central air. I don't know why. Yeah, I guess it's starting to seem a little like a like a sweat lodge kind of thing where it gets the best creative juices just kind of out of you. The sweat and squeeze was simple. The Raconteurs recorded their first album in a sweltering Brendan Benson attic. So that's two sweltering attics we can now put to record. I remember that attic. Is that the attic in Brendan's house over in Indian Village there in Detroit? Is that where they did it? Yeah, I believe so. I don't know if that's the specific, like if he had more than one place in Detroit, but... The summer of 2005. Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. I think he was living in Detroit. But in in Michigan, we have basements, so so most of the time we're in the basement. But when I did that record, I was living in a flat, so the landlord was on floor one. Floor two was, you know, me and my girlfriend. And then the attic was finished. It was like carpeted. But it was supposed to be a bedroom, I guess. I don't know why I'm acting surprised. This amazing attic had carpet. (laughs) It's totally dumb. But anyway, yeah, it was just like a nice finished attic and I could make a ton of noise. And I would record up there until four or five in the morning every night. No one ever complained. It was just a – that was maybe a different world too back then. I chain smoked in that place. And the guy downstairs didn't – the landlord was not a smoker. 
was like a nine to five, super straight laced dude. <laughs> and I was like loud and smoking two packs a day <laughs> Oh man! in his nice clean apartment upstairs. That guy never complained once, never, <laughs> never, ever. Oh, it's man. nice to hear that there's not an asshole landlord out there. Like <laughs> out there somewhere, there's a landlord who's not a complete, uh, yeah, um, that guy, he was great. John Oren. I remember his name. Anyway, so that's Pete. And then Dano, he was a cool guy. He worked at the Grand Valley radio station. And I met him through a friend of my friend's brother, this guy named Pax. Mm. And Pax Bingham was another cool dude. And so I heard Dan's voice he was in a band and he was playing keyboard and I heard his voice and I thought, oh man, this guy's great. And this is why I kind of moved to Grand Rapids. There were like a couple of people that liked my music up there and there was, you know, a radio station that kind of played my tapes yeah. on the radio. And then this guy, Pax, one time calls me up at my grandma's house where I lived in my grandma's basement, he calls me up and wakes me up at like noon <laughs> My grandma yells downstairs, Robert, there's a somebody named Pax on the phone. And it's like, you know, noon. I'm like, grandma, you know. Okay, so I get on the phone and this guy Pax just kind of blows my mind and says, hey, we're playing your tape on the radio and people stole our copies. You got to get us some more copies. Cool. And I, it just totally blew my mind. Yeah. At first I was like, okay. And then as it sunk in later in the day, it's like, oh, shit. This is terrific. Yeah. Somebody's heard my music and they want to play it. Somebody likes my music. There's a moment where somebody liked what I was doing. That's a rush. Yeah. Honestly, that's why I moved to Grand Rapids. It's like, okay, the logic is there are musicians up there that like my music. I think I need to just move my whole life to Grand Rapids. <laughs> it's just such a different world because that's what you did back then. I suppose if you, you know, if you lived in New York and somebody liked the way that your special canned salmon recipe in, uh, you know, Colorado. How did you hear about this? You would pick up your whole family and move to Colorado. Well, I do my uh, homework, too. Because that canned salmon recipe is a Kaminsky trademark secret. But looking for somebody to finally bring it up. We're on to you. I throw them away and they come back to me. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so then Dano, he was a cool guy and I never managed to organize a band. You know, it wasn't like um, everybody kind of had their own thing going on and I was never able to get something together that was like a solid group, which is probably why it goes back to the question you had. Why just sit on this forever? Well, because when I met Mark and John, they wanted to be a band. And this was the first time I was going to have that kind of, oh, this is how you do it. This is everything that you want to do in your life, like the Stooges did or the Beatles did or whoever, be in a band. And in Grand Rapids, I didn't have that. I didn't have anyone willing to do that. But what I did have, and I was very fortunate, is I had a lot of musicians that were more than happy to just come over and play yeah. and record. And do cool stuff and even go as far as, you know, taking uh, microphones out of radio stations so we could use that and, and whatever. You know? <laughs> what went into the process of updating the tapes for that album? Were all the instruments and vocals set down or did you have to go in and sweeten things up here and there? Did you have to re-record any of it? How did that process kind of go? 
Yeah, no, there isn't anything on that record that wasn't recorded in 1993 and 94-ish, right around that time. I have uh, an interface that can take eight inputs. So um, I got it recently because I'm, I'm transferring a bunch of the early Go stuff. Yeah. So I got it to basically transfer all the all the early Go stuff to um, digital, so it doesn't you know deteriorate and all that. And then maybe spruce it up, and maybe we'll put out like a, a sort of pre what you doing record at some point. But Ooh. Um, hey, oh nice, yeah, that could be kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I was working on that, and then I came across a couple of boxes of tapes, and I found the record. So there was stuff that I hadn't finished on the album so i had like a cd copy of it and then i found all the master tapes for it and with the master Mm -hmm. tapes i found other stuff little guitar solos and things like that that could fill the record out okay and so with technology the way it is now i could load in the cd i could then layer back in some of the things that were unfinished from the master tapes and then come out the other side with you know, a sort of a coherent record. Have you been beyond your brain while searching for a state of grace? Drift within on the rats of sound. Flashing out in flashing leaves on the mail for you, my flash These tracks that are available in this whole Go package for Black Lives Matter, these are just the songs, right? So Mm -hmm. eventually, I think we're going to put out vinyl when the pressing plants get back up and and running. I saw that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And that's got a lot of like little segue stuff and a lot of bits, people talking, and it's more of a document from that whole session from 1993. I would love that. And I have video too, which is kind of funny uh, as well. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and it doesn't, I don't know that it would mean anything to anybody, but to me, it's kind of cool that I happen to have a video of me and Dano and Pete working on this stuff. So I'm going to put together a little promo video for the song, Make Your Way to the Sun. Yes. I love that song. That's a good one. Fish upon a jellyfish and then it may come to one day. Make your way to the sun. You don't have to find your way home again. Take it as it comes on your way. You don't have the time to pretend. What you send is what you receive and how you perceive reality. Yeah, that's my favorite on the record, actually. I love that churchy organ, and the mix of guitar rock and organ on the whole record is great, but on that track in particular, I just really love it. My daughter was dancing to that one this morning. Oh, cool. Were you tempted to do like a free as a bird kind of deal where you did overlay uh, <laughs> tracks over the, the old audio or <laughs> did you want it to be exclusively just of that era? Oh, yeah. No, never thought about putting anything additional on it because um, why? 
it's kind of special for me to put it out, I guess, now. I'm glad I waited this long to do it. I'm glad I didn't do it in the midst of, you know, touring with the go or something like that. Right. Because it's more fun for me now. I've got so much distance from it that I can really kind of just enjoy it and sort of reflect back on that time of my life with and have like fond memories. And I don't feel like promoting it or I don't feel like how does it fit into the grand scheme of everything is I don't care about any of that. <laughs> just uh, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> While producing your younger self, though, did you look back at anything you did and go, why did you do it that way? Or did you have any uh, regrets? Like, as a more seasoned veteran of the music industry at this point, were there any things you wish you had done differently? Uh, there were a couple of songs that I wish that I would have finished. There was one that I was actually pretty tempted to finish, but I just decided no. But it's called Mental Winter. Ooh. And men- Mental Winter was written at a time that I was suffering from really bad panic attacks. Mm. And it's a pop song. It would be the most poppy song on the record. And the chorus of Mental Winter is the exact same melody and harmony of Tired of the Night. Mm. Um, so I used that. So I thought, man, it would. it's too bad that I couldn't have this on there as sort of like but I couldn't. Anyway, I couldn't finish it. There weren't any drums on it. And uh, I don't know why we didn't do it at a time. I guess I would have recorded more. Okay. I think at the end of the session, Pete was kind of at the end of his rope as far as the drumming is concerned. And that's something that one of my favorite parts about the record um, is, I mean, it, it's his drumming. It's, it's all of his expressive drumming, especially in the song Laughing. What he does with that is just he's a little or- mini orchestra uh, in there. he was done at the end if i could go back in time i would exceed his threshold and make him do more because i just would like more songs right on it other than that no you mentioned the like talk about finished that's what took me by surprise listening to it it sounds remarkably finished like when we were talking the last time and you said oh i have this i have these tapes kicking around of a solo record i thought well Maybe it's a couple demos, maybe it's a couple finished tracks, or maybe it's a, maybe there's some pieces missing here and there. No, this thing is together, and it, it sounds like a, like a vibrant. I think I told you that when we were talking over Messenger the other day. It sounds like a vibrant pop rock record. Like it, I don't know. It's 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 one of the things that took me the most by surprise about it is that it does sound remarkably complete and produced and just as produced if not better sounding than even some go records in my opinion you know red light avenue is a great opener there you get that little i love the inverse of tutti frutti at the top there that's my that's actually i think that's my favorite part of the record like i just love that you open on fruity because there's like i don't know if you're a proco harm guy at all but there's this song boredom they say that a lot they go fruity and it's just i don't know there's something i find compelling about that (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, Turn Off Your Mind, that chorus in the song Underneath an Apple Tree is such a beautiful melody. Oh, yeah. and, and that's, again, it's one of those things where I'm thinking, like, why? 
Why on earth was this sat on? Because it does sound so... I don't know. It sounds like a juicy little pop song. It got me thinking about your voice, and I wanted to ask you, you know, your vocals, particularly on this record, you know, and this is 1993, I think you said, what, 19? They're so sweeping, and I, I wondered if you had any kind of vocal training in your life, or it was all just self-taught. It's self-taught. So, um, thank you. And, and yeah, it was, it's self-taught. So, right before that record, a year prior to it, I couldn't sing. I was frustrated by the fact that I couldn't sing. I would listen to the Beatles all the time, and I was so frustrated. Yeah. And then, at that moment in time, I got very determined to make a real album and so and produce it the whole nine yards so when you guys eventually when you know if you happen to when i put it out when you see the the footage of it you'll see me producing the record i really went into mode like character like an actor i was very determined i was going to make like what in my mind would be a classic rock record i was going to be the producer and I was very determined to make something that I thought was going to be great. So I worked really hard on it. And that moment is where my voice kind of came together. I sort of found, I found my voice. So I'm very lucky to have this because I can look back on it and say, wow, when I was 19, I made this, you know, with yeah. the help of my friends. Right. But I was very determined to make something solid. And it is really solid. Now, um, Matt Smith from Outrageous Cherry for listeners Outrageous Cherry and producer of The Go he said at the time in 1993 there was just nothing out there like it and that's what a lot of friends that I have that have that have heard it said oh my god there's this is like the first comment is holy shit there's nothing out there like this at that moment in time yeah. um, true I just lived in my record collection I lived in my bubble world I loved the bubbles I didn't care about anything else I hated grunge you know that's all that mattered to me I just all that mattered was my little tiny world and I was happy there and so that's what I did but Matt Smith had said like oh my god well if you I mean you should have got signed to a record label if, if anybody would have heard yes. this and that some kid in their attic is putting this together yes. well and you know he's probably right because you know that's like youth you know which I mean the, the music industry is so youth obsessed it's crazy but um but it's it's the youth on my side back then and then also the ability to write you know songs that sounded like real songs and then musicianship and all that he's probably right but at that yeah. time it seemed impossible like what would you do what do you do of course do you take you know do you, you take your record and you go show up at at 19 years old yeah at 19 years old yeah. to boot but i mean even just the idea of getting signed back then was really not in any musician sort of like they didn't think like these days you just send you you just like bombard some record label with you know tweets or something i don't know <laughs> but back then you right i don't know but but somebody will tell somebody that somebody's good and then there's a, and by the way there's like everybody has a label which one of you guys has a record label so uh. one of you two does no 
No record labels? <laughs> One of you two needs to start a record label and then sign me, and that's how it works. Everybody has a record label. Canned Salmon Incorporated. <laughs> Canned Salmon. Yeah. The high-tech guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. What, what's, what's the nickname? I forget. Gear anyway, the Gear so, Guys. The Gear Guys. Yeah. Canned Salmon, the Gear Guys. Um, <laughs> so, but – but back then, it was unthinkable. It was just, there's no way. What are you going to do? You're going to go, sh- you know, you just imagine yourself like, well, I got to get a, well, I'll take a bus to New York City and then I'll knock on the giant towering doors of <laughs> Warner Brothers. It's so absurd. It seems so absurd back then. Listen, kid, you probably think lots of crazy stuff goes on in there, but this is just a place of business. Right. Or you mail a demo tape. You know, oh, it's like, and then how many demo tapes did the, does that studio get? Give me Kaputnik and Phonebone. I want to see the drawings for the new kids on the Blake. And then how many, like, in my head, if I were to do that, I'd just picture them throwing it away. It's like, and I just wouldn't do it out of fear of them just not even caring. Oh, totally. Did you, has it, have either one of you watched, have you ever seen Creep Show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love Creep Show. The Creep Show. You know the part where Stephen King gets the stuff on his hands. Yeah, yeah. He starts growing into a plant man. He becomes plant man, which is great. You yeah. know, and the Creep Show comic too is great. I've got both uh, the original and the and the reprint, and the reprint is nowhere near the quality of the original. <laughs> anyway, back to reality. Um, <laughs> uh, so every scenario that runs through Stephen King's character's head, Jordy Verrill, in that right. Piece is the worst case scenario. That's pretty much every single musician alive, I'm sure, in 1993. Any single scenario to get to a record label was the worst case scenario. So you're right. You're going to send a demo to a, a record label, and then you imagine here comes the thought bubble, and you imagine like just an over, just these piles and piles, mountains, you know, warehouses full of like unopened demos. Yeah. Nobody tried, which is really silly, you know? <laughs> But it seemed very difficult. So that's what's funny about this too is that it's actually – it's a pretty good record and being 19 years old at the time, it probably would have had a pretty good advantage to get it signed to something. But it seemed like an impossible thing. So the whole thing was – tons of work went into it and immediately was abandoned. Yeah, I, I mean I – I, 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 I never like being the guy who's like, well, it was a waste of time or it was abandoned or anything. I mean, you, everything you learned from putting that together, I'm sure in one way or another was applied to the Go stuff, which was, as you mentioned, shortly after that. So, you know, I, I don't I think it was all just part of the primordial soup of your career, uh, really, at that point. I've just was shocked at how oh yeah i would listen to shit out of this like this is great like i was i was wondering where the hell it came from because i didn't even connect when i was listening to it that it was the project you were talking about uh, when you were on our show because it sounded so slick i was like oh it's got that bubblegum flavor in there that uh, actually yours this it's got a little more doors on it actually than the ghost stuff does but a little bit of bubblegum flavor in there which is funny because on the rest of the download package you do get this big go box set and we'll, we'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. about a couple of those items here just just briefly touch on them but in one of them there's a radio interview i love it it's right before what you doing came out and it's um it's you guys playing some songs on the radio and there's some interview portions and john krautner is talking about how you all you guys have a bubblegum fetish and i thought that was really funny because i can certainly hear it in his solo record which is also included on this download package but i could hear it a bit yes. in yours and i yeah. can hear it a bit in the go and obviously mick collins made a whole bubblegum record with the dirt bomb so something was in the bubblegum water in detroit at the time but just really nice work man and it, it really congratulations it's just it sounds thank you vital and wonderful and i can't wait to pick up the vinyl copy when that's available yeah 
it hits me and Paul right in the sweet spot. That's that's our uh, that's our go to usually. Is you know the your mindset in that time is exactly what me and Paul gravitate towards. Right. So uh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's great. Just a, a thing about bubblegum is that you know it's just simple, catchy songs. And yeah, I think that that's what that's what Detroit back in 1999 was especially about. You know, simple, direct, catchy songs with heave ho choruses that were stuck in your head, and that's that's the definition of a bubblegum right there. That's every bubblegum song that's ever been written. So yeah, well, John Krautner's yeah. record "Fun with Gum" Volume One sounds like the Archies, but if the Archies were all holding hand grenades. Um, <laughs> I feel like that. I do love that record too, yeah. talk just briefly here about conspiracy vowels because that's also included on this uh, download package and i mean i hadn't really done the dive on conspiracy vowels i hit a song like puzzle people and my face started melting off and i was like holy shit (laughs) what i love about that record and now we're talking this is well conspiracy vowels i think it's about 2010 so we're considerably removed from the time period of of your solo record but that album has some synthy almost techno elements like I'm thinking of songs like The Lesson or or Let the Sirens Go. And that direction would be the direction that a lot of rockers would take in the 20-teens or whatever the hell we're calling that last decade that we had. Um, I'm yeah. wondering what inspired you to break out into that kind of direction for that record? And were you surprised that so many others wound up following in those footsteps in the decade to come? Well, no, because at that time, MGMT, they were very popular. Sure. Um, and so, and I think, Tame Impala as well. Yeah. You know, they were, they were already, MGMT was doing well. I think Tame Impala was just starting to get going. And so it's no surprise to me that, I don't know if you want to call it synth wave. Is that really describe sort of what happened after it? But synth wave was a part of it. Like people just got more synth heavy right at that yeah. time um mm-hmm. which i had to love by the way I, I i dig it you know and <laughs> it's still going on today oh me too yeah oh yeah me too no i i like it a lot too um and at that at that time john and mark and i uh, we were feeling a little bit restricted by the parameters that we had set for the go we sort of thought well what do you do and i think there was like kind of leading up to that record we sort of felt like, well, the go was maybe supposed to be something. And when you start thinking like that, then then it, it's not as much fun. So we d- we did the go for a long time with what we believed were wide open parameters to, because we just loved rock and roll. And we loved the sounds of the guitars and all that sort of stuff and, and making cool guitar, getting cool guitar sounds. And we always had kind of like a little mission on every single record, something goal that we were trying to accomplish with the sonically and, and sort of the vibe of the thing. And when it came to Conspiracy of Owls, that was a result of Mark and John and I all saying, well, maybe we should do something else. And we happened to have a synthesizer there. And so being big fans of people like Giorgio Moroder, I know John is a 
is a huge Giorgio Moroder fan. You guys um, pulled a Sergeant Pepper, and I I want to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John was more into like the Giorgio stuff that was like Giorgio's early stuff, underdog and whatever. But I grew up in the '80s, and so all of the synth sounds and the sort of that sort of rock really appealed to me. I mean, it's it's really kind of a part of of who I am. So I take Giorgio Moroder's "Take My Breath Away" and uh, as as seriously as anybody would take uh, anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great work of art and the same thing with something like the soundtrack to midnight express i mean you know and also like the stuff that john carpenter so john carpenter the filmmaker uh, you know and total genius by the way who friggin wrote wrote his movies directed his movies and scored this these incredible soundtracks that have seen a resurgence right he like ended up going on tour they've reissued you know now the escape from new york soundtrack is um you know, the original is worth a ton of money and they've reissued it and whatever. So anyway. Yeah. It's like listening to Brian Eno if Brian Eno was going to stab you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, So, you know, growing up with that stuff, I mean, you know, being 10 years old and, and hearing – you know, the theme song from Escape from New York, I mean, it's got a profound effect as a musician. That was a big reason why I was so in love with sort of like finding and discovering sounds. So anyway, that's a huge, long friggin' way around to this point, which is um, we wanted to do something different. So we, we decided, well, let's just write whatever the hell we want to write. And for some reason, just saying that out loud – sort of opened up something more in my songwriting, which was talking less about these sort of interpersonal relationships between like me and you, me and a girl or me and whoever, and rather a sort of a broader view of, of looking at the world. Also, I should note that uh, the Conspiracy of Owls album was written just before the birth of my son. So I sort of had a lot of that on my conscience about kind of like the world I'm bringing a child into. So I wrote about right. a lot of that on that record. Um, and I like the Conspiracy of Owls record the best out of anything that uh, Mark and John and I have ever done. That's my favorite, by far my favorite record that we've ever done. step out of your boundaries like that it can really inspire some amazing creations i mean a lot of artists find myself included that you know when you're caught doing the same thing over and over again you kind of feel like that is what you have to keep doing and i I mentioned sergeant pepper too i mean that's that's the beatles were like well this is the sound that everyone expects from us let's step into a different body let's be a different band and a lot of artists are like you get sick of doing the same thing but you feel you have to and so stepping into a different kind of mindset can really really broaden not only your appeal but just how you create and it can get rid of a creative block if you've got that or you know it, it 
reinvigorates a lot of that energy. Definitely. So absolutely true. Good. Yes. It felt that way for us. And then people, uh, that record was really well received and continues to be very special for people to this day, particularly a song called a silver song. That one mm-hmm. seems to really resonate with people, which is great because that song also is very special to me. So we've been planning a reissue of that record for like a decade. So that record came out and we pressed like a thousand copies and then we never repressed it. And we've been asked for like, you know, not by a ton of people, but but fairly regularly we've been asked about a reissue on that one. Berger wants to reissue it. I think five years ago, we announced a deluxe reissue. Uh, <laughs> five years later, it's still not out. But now we're actually doing it. So um, good, good. what I'm currently working on is a remix of the record. I'm not a fan of remixing music. I'm not big into that. However, mm-hmm. the Conspiracy of Owls remix is sounding really, really good. And so my logic behind that is anyone with an original copy, which kind of goes for a couple of bucks now, it's like a hundred bucks or something, is is now it's extra special because we're going to do a deluxe reissue with a gatefold and it's going to have a remix on it um, that I think people will be pleased with. Amazing. Awesome. That's great. I mean, that's awesome to hear. Uh, you know, I, I love that record. I would love a vinyl copy of it. The the ones I did find on online were expensive. I don't remember how much, but you know, I, I, I came into downloading that package having already had, I don't know, maybe like sixty, seventy percent of the music and then the stuff I didn't have, I was just like, Whoa and that was one that just absolutely floored me. Oh, cool, thank you. Those are my two favorites on the record, the Conspiracy Vowels record and and your solo record are my two favorites. So yeah, thanks man. This is great thanks stuff. A lot. Would love the reissue. I'm glad you guys uh, got to hear the Conspiracy of Owl stuff. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of people um, – it's funny because we, we also made a point at the time to not really promote it at all as members of the go. Mm-hmm. And it totally worked. And nobody ever really mentioned that it was members of the go. And then at some point <laughs> we're like – Maybe we should have said it was members of the go, man. This thing, you know, what are we doing? Why are we telling people? And so now we got to go out of our way. Like, uh, like Sean and Lee at, at Burger, they have to say like, these guys, you know, this is the record that, cause you know, people just won't there. It's like the people that like the go don't necessarily go over there. Now, speaking of uh, sort of changing trajectory, I actually had some people who didn't like that record because it wasn't the go. So I never experienced really that before. Oh, I, sh- I should say that's not true. One time I was on tour after we released Howl on the Hunted Beat You Ride and a very like aggressive woman with dreadlocks came up to me and said after the show, I love the go, but what's with all the emo? And oh, uh, I was like, uh, Howl on the Hunted Beat You Ride is emo? I didn't really – Think about it. I never thought it would. <laughs> I wouldn't think it's not like traditional emo, right? It doesn't sound like my chemical romance. What no. are you talking about? You know, but anyway. But but somebody said about Conspiracy of Owls, uh, 
you know, I said like, hey, you know, this new thing you got to listen to it. And they listened to about like two seconds of it. And I said, well, what'd you think? And they said, nah, I'm not really into all that synthesizer stuff. I go, okay. Wow. Well, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. What are you going to do? That's yeah. It's not going to please everybody, but I I'd prefer people branch out in new new directions anyway. You know, people have strong yeah. opinions when it comes to music. Geez, you know, like a synthesizer is a deal breaker for you. Just one the synthesizer. That's it. You're not going to listen to the songs. They're just that's a deal breaker. You like everything else that we did. This one because the synthesizers <laughs> is crap. It's bizarre. Really weird. Yeah, I mean, if I hear a xylophone on a song, I, I just immediately shut off. Uh, you shut I just, down. I, yeah. <laughs> I hate xylophones. We had mentioned it earlier that uh, the box set Tape Masters is included on this download package, which is a five-volume comprehensive pack of, of like rarities and other materials from, from the go. You guys have a cover of Slippin' and Slidin'. Yeah. Was there ever a go-to rock and roll tune that you guys ever get loose with on live or in the studio or because that cover is awesome of slipping and sliding yeah thank you no you know we covered some songs though uh we did slipping and sliding we loved little richard and uh he passed away oh yeah he yeah he was the king of rock and roll he was the real king of rock and roll i don't mean to get into a fight with anybody right now but little richard was the real king of rock and roll wasn't elvis is little richard yeah i'll agree I hard agree of the uh, <laughs> of the the old school rockers. He's my favorite. I mean, I like his bravado. I like his energy. I love his crazy piano. And Chuck Berry may have been the songwriter, and Fats Domino may have been the soul of the R and B of that side. And I just love that you guys listen to music that I like and listen to, and that's part of why I enjoy your music is because I feel that energy of that stuff. I I enjoy in it. Did you see the the Ray Charles interview with Bob Costas? He's <laughs> no. the best. When Bob Costas says to Ray Charles, he says, um, Elvis. And Ray Charles says, yeah, yeah. And Bob Costas says, Elvis was, uh, he was a talented guy. And Ray Charles says, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing totally amazing like completely caught off guard and just couldn't roll with that i've got nothing against elvis by the way other than you know he's fine like El- i don't like elvis but um but anyway uh so yeah we used to cover stuff we'd cover uh slipping and sliding and and we did um you know we did all kinds of music you know we'd cover all kinds of things i mean beyond slipping and sliding we try to figure out maybe some clever things to cover it'd be like stuff that we were into at the time so we covered the deviants i remember we would do um we would do gloria yeah van morrison's gloria mm-hmm. but we replaced the words with mick Farron from the deviants i'm coming home hmm. uh i'm coming home Bum, 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 crawling up your stairs and we do that and then after the show it would be interesting to see who thought it was cliche that we did gloria (laughs) you know we're just you know troublemakers we're troublemakers so that was uh 
that was just uh, just to be uh, jerks, you know, I guess. Perfect. Just to judge people. You just judge them a little bit. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and what else? What other covers would we do? Uh, that we do, uh, uh, we did a couple. Oh, we did uh, uh, Teardrop Explodes, Sleeping Gas. Did you ever, did you ever listen to Teardrop I, Explodes? I don't think I'm familiar Julian with Co? that one. No. So, no, Teardrop Explodes. Okay, they had some popular records. They did a record called Kilimanjaro. Julian Cope, this guy who like eats loads of acid and was like the late seventies or something, early eighties. Great London or wherever they're from, London, England, somewhere in England, and um, they've got a couple of records out, Kilimanjaro, and then I forget what the other one was. And they had like a success, you know, with Kilimanjaro. However. Before I used to have a CD called Piano, the Teardrop Explodes Piano, which apparently was a compilation of their early, um, like their EPs or something. They put out these EPs, yeah. And the music is friggin' awesome, so cool. good. So if you listen to Sleeping Gas on the Kilimanjaro version, eh, sucks. If you listen to it on the on their early uh, like demos and EPs. It sounds like the future. It's so good. Awesome. So they did Bouncing Babies. They did Sleeping Gas. They did uh, When I Dream. They just there's a there's a bunch of really great stuff. So you, should, you guys should definitely check that out because you'll probably like it. And then we ended up doing Sleeping Gas on. We recorded it for our Supercuts record, but we tried to do it more like the EP version of the Teardrop oh, Explodes. Okay. So yeah, you know. Supercuts, which is also included on this download pack, I should say, uh, yeah. which I also enjoyed listening to. Which, if you want, go to go4blm.com. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get the plugs in here, Bobby. Yeah, well, there's still time to donate, and people should, because it's important. So I'm trying to make sure that we we also keep doing that. So speaking of, of songs you did live, do you guys find that there's tracks that you prefer the sound of live as opposed to studio, or vice versa? Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I always liked the studio stuff, probably just because we worked, we worked the hell out of it. And then live, I mean, a lot of the live recordings that, that we've had over the years when people would just hand them to us, you know, they're not, they don't sound very good because they're not, they're not mixed really well and, and whatever. So, I, I mean, I'm nitpicky mm-hmm. when it comes to that stuff because I just, you know, I'm, I'm like a, an audio engineer, I guess. So, so just based on on that alone, I'm not really that into the live recordings. If they were were recorded like they did, you know, 50 years ago or whatever live, then it would probably have some vibe to it. You'd have the audience in there and all this, but usually yeah. we just get these awful soundboard recordings <laughs> that you know don't sound good. And then also the other thing too is that sometimes on the radio it would sound okay if we did like a radio performance, but. Um, if I had a guitar in my hand, I was pretty good. But whenever I would kind of not have the guitar, which would be probably a good 70% of the show, um, I'm just like screaming into a microphone. So it's not like, it's not, it's usually not awesome, you know? I mean, with a loud room and a lot of like, you know, people in there kind of 
a little drunk maybe and having fun and all that. It's probably it probably that's probably why it went over pretty well. But when you sit back and kind of examine it, it's wasn't it wasn't necessarily very good. If we're being honest with each other, a, yeah, I, th- mm. I can think of a handful of live records I enjoy. Although, yeah, I, I tend to be a studio guy myself. Although, like with this version of Caroline, I think that was... I actually prefer it to the studio. Just something about the energy. Okay, yeah. I was a boy with rosebud eyes Looked through the limitless starless skies There was a time my mind was wild Back to the burning feral child Remember still Nowhere man by the windowsill Rainy outside as I recall Animals, shadows And every once in a while you get that on some tracks Whether it be with the Ghost of or other bands Where something about the energy of the live cut is Just captures something different about the song Oh, totally Well, now, what what is that track you're referring to? Is it a radio performance? That's what it was? Yeah, it's, it's a radio one It's on, uh, I think, Box 5 Or Tape 5, yeah. I should say Yeah I know what you're yep. talking about. Yeah. No, that one sound, that one came out pretty good. And we had played a lot. We had played that record. You know, we toured a lot for that. So by the time we did that, we were kind of pretty well oiled and relaxed. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think we, so we did Howl on the Hunted Beat You Right after we came back from England, mm-hmm. which we did, um, we went on tour with the White Stripes um, in England and on their elephant tour. And we did that. And we, we were just starting to dabble in what would later be How Long on a Beat Your Ride with some of those songs. Huh. And so I think we didn't play great shows with them, which I really kind of regret that. Because we leaned, we relied heavily on like earlier stuff, like what you doing material and that kind of stuff. We relied heavily on that for the most of that White Stripes tour. And we went on after the White Stripes and we kept playing shows in England. And then we were so kind of, I think frustrated with ourselves after all of that, not really feeling the magic on the stage or not getting anything going, that we started to abandon, sometimes abandon sets altogether (laughs) to such an extreme that like, for example, one show where it was very poorly attended we just rehearsed the song refrain for the entire show. (laughs) So I I don't know if I'd call it a show, but that was really kind of crazy because we were just so sick of ourselves in a way, I think frustrated. And then we just, we wanted to work on new songs. And so we took refrain and we kept playing it and then stopping it. Starting it again. And then working it out. We just did this for a while, and then we just stopped. And then some hmm. people clapped or whatever. And then some some journalist was there, of course, right? Our luck. Uh, some journalist was there. But the funny thing was is that the journalist ended up writing a review saying what a great show it was. was We didn't get any, we got no very, we didn't get any good reviews with the White Stripes tour. We didn't get any. I mean, which 
that was not surprising because, you know, the White Stripes was like everybody's favorite band in that moment. And we were opening, so no one cares that much about the opening band. But um, we really didn't get any favorable reviews. And then we decide to abandon everything we're doing and play one song for an entire show. And that was like our first good review in England. <laughs> um, and then by the time we ended that tour, we were really working out how long on a beat ride. And we had like Smile and we had Refrain. Maybe we were trying to dabble in and put some other songs together. And so then um, we did the record and then we went on tour for that record and we toured a lot. And it, the band became very relaxed. And yeah. uh, I liked I liked that band a lot. Well, you could feel it in the music, too. Yeah, I liked that band a lot. That, w- that was a good version of that band. The, the Howl is, is so good. The frustrations led to one of my favorite albums by you guys. And... Like you said, you could feel there's. It's even relaxed in the music. It's it feels comfortable. Like it feels like everybody knows their part and is playing like at the top of their ability. I, I love that album so much. I think I told you last time that and um, Fiesta. Those two are they both feel relaxed. I know they're separated by quite a bit of time, but there's something about those that just really hit the sweet spot for me. Yeah, same. But. Same. Those are my uh, Thanks. two of my favorites as well. Well, I mean, well, we have one more question here, Bobby. We know we've been, we told you 30 minutes and we're on an hour 45 here. So uh, <laughs> thank wow. you for, thank you for bearing with us. Well, I like for, talking with you guys. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, well, we like talking to you. Well, we, you know, we Thanks. mentioned the White Stripes tour and, and, you know, you had called out a couple songs to me that are included on the box set that I thought I would point out for listeners uh, listeners to the program know that Jack White was a member of the go for, for a hot minute there just prior to the explosion of the white stripes and stuff like that but in this download package we can hear jack white lead vocals on uh turn your little light bulb on which is this is funny so when i was editing our last interview i was searching for hey jip and i knew there was a live version of it because i remembered hearing it and i couldn't find the damn thing until i listened to the whole record through and i realized it is erroneously given the title turn your little light bulb on on the go live at the gold dollar and so (laughs) you pointed that out to me the other day i thought that was super funny because i came to the same realization and i feel like there must have been some reason because blackwell is so buttoned down i feel like there must have been some reason he did that but neither here nor there there is a version of turn your little light bulb on here with jack white lead vocal on one of the box set uh tracks and it's excellent on there Jack had that guitar riff and he just wanted to turn it into something. And I started singing Donovan's Hey Jip over it and it worked. Um, And when you listen to that, that live at the gold dollar record, uh, I don't I think we do psycho too. Yeah. So that's kind of where the band was at at the time. And I was a little disappointed. I, I mean, a lot more than just a little disappointed. I was a, I was very disappointed when I – I'm, I'm really – I'm hands off when I, – I don't mess around with that third band stuff. You know, whatever they're doing, I really don't get involved. So um, – or try, you know, because it's their thing and whatever. But however, when that Live at the Gold Dollar thing came out and – and Hey Jip was now titled Turning the Light Bulb On. I was really disappointed in that because I thought that was that was pretty silly. I think I would guess – my guess is that it's just 
maybe a mistake. I don't know. Yeah, it was written wrong on the um, tape or something. What, what was funny, even yeah. more funny to me, was that Turn Your Little Light Bulb On really sounds like a proto version of Broken Bricks from the White Stripes debut LP. Okay. And I, when I was listening to it, I was, I was thinking, boy, I wonder... I wonder if there was any hold over there, because it certainly sounds like it, especially if you say that he was just trying to find a place for that lick to go. I wonder if that's what it sort of mutated into over the years. Um, Oh, probably. Right. Because we didn't do anything with it. So turn your little light bulb on and whatever else is on that box set. Um, Uh, But you don't know. But you don't know. Yeah. We talked about this maybe last time uh, I was on. We talked about what made it to what you're doing. And the remix, Why Get You Off, wasn't included. Right. Because it was just the Jim Diamond stuff. Yeah. Right. So if you take Meet Me at the Movies, Susie Don't Leave, Get You Off, You Can Get High, But You Don't Know, and Turn Your Little Light Bulb On, I think that's all of them. I could be wrong. These were the songs that we recorded uh, over at Jack's house on like a four track reel to reel machine. And then it was a really goofy situation because we did all this stuff. And then the next day we were going to come back and record vocals on Uh it. Well, there's two parts of this goofy story. Part one is... I guess me and John ended up going out and staying up till like four in the morning, uh, (laughs) drinking and like having fun and partying Uh, under the assumption. I imagine that we would do vocals later in the day. Goofy part number two is Jack, his brother owned the machine and insisted that it was back before like noon or oh something, you know, and there was like no wiggle room. So all of a sudden, John and I find ourselves, you know, on our way to Jack's house to cut these vocals and we don't feel good. I mean, we're yeah. green. And John literally actually throws up, you know, throws up in the bushes on the way into Jackson. Oh no. I mean that's how that's how sick we are. We're really not <laughs> well, I've doing been there. Well. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. No, it was a mistake. So we go in and um and we just barely make it through these vocals, which is why Meet Me at the Movies sounds so hungover because it really it is it's very it's very hungover. And there was stuff that I couldn't do. So like um but you don't know. I always took the the high part in that one, and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Well, Jack was squeaky clean that day. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, he was like he had breakfast already, and you know, <laughs> Sunday shoes on, and I don't know. And he could sing. You know, he could sing all those parts. So he just said, "I'll do them." And I said, "You go for it. Just go ahead and do them." So Jack, um, so, so Jack sings. Uh, Jack sings uh, the high part in "But You Don't Know," which is pretty prominent on that little box set, and yeah. um, and also "Turn Your Little Light Bulb On," which I, uh, by the way, so back to your question, I have no, I, I have no memory of that. I yeah. have no idea. 
Oh, man. Yeah. So anyway, lots of wonderful tidbits on this download package in that box set, which I'm still kind of going through and digging through and just really enjoying. And Bobby, thank you so much for all of this wonderful music. What an opportunity to have just this wonderful body of work in one place that you can download. And then knowing that you gave to a really, really good and worthwhile cause in the process just makes it all the more valuable actually so i can't thank you enough for doing this i really really appreciate it uh please pass along our thanks to john as well because we also enjoyed his yes his solo record that's that's included on here i'm really looking forward to that vinyl release of your solo record because as i mentioned it's amazing so thank you bobby thank you so much for joining us thank you both thanks i appreciate it yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on and thanks for the kind words you know and, and thanks for allowing me the opportunity to uh you know to say uh Black Lives Matter and do what you can and get behind it and, and get on the right side of history. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, fuck racism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fuck racism. <laughs> thank you, Bobby. This is this yeah. is a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you too. And and I'm with you. Fuck racism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, James, that was a great time talking with Bobby Harlow from The Go. Yeah, he is, as always, super fun to talk to, super interesting stories, and the cause that they're raising money for is excellent. Uh, Yeah, no, let's mention the site again. It's thego for the number four, blm.com, and there you... And there you can download, and I'm just, I'll just read it one more time, all the different download contents. You'll get Bobby Harlow's solo album, which again is brand new in terms of release. It was made in 1993. It was long lost. It was recovered and put out just now. So that's a, that's a new thing. His album, A Subtle Scare, and it's excellent. All of the Go albums. So What You Doing, The Go, How Long the Haunted Beat You Ride, Tracking the Trail of the Haunted Beat, which is like, I think, outtakes or something like that from How Long the Haunted Beat You Ride, which is really cool. You get Fiesta. You get singles, jingles, and EPs, which is like a collection set. You get the Go box set, which is like all of the radio stuff and uh, performances and rarities and things like that. You get the Conspiracy of Owls album from 2010, and you get John Krautner's Fun with Gum Volume 1 solo album from 2015. All of that stuff. It's just like a lot of music. And all you have to do is donate $5 and above. I did it. I hope hope you all did too. It's a lot to sink your teeth into. This music is excellent. I'm still plowing through it. Conspiracy of Owls. It's quickly becoming one of my favorite albums by them. And yeah, super exciting to hear the uh, the new the new solo stuff. Uh, so yeah, pick that up, donate, and get some really amazing, cool, unique music. Yeah. And you know, James, at the top of the show, we didn't do, and I think a smell of fact or a. Uh an old enough or a uh, rough detective segment or something like that. I'd like to just, since this is the end of season four and we will be back, we're going to do a couple best ofs on a periodic basis throughout the rest of the summer. And then we'll be back toward the tail end of the summer slash September. But I just thought it might be fun to just like take a walk through all the different episodes we did this season. Cause we did a lot of stuff this season. I would love to, Paul. I'm very <laughs> curious. So the seasons, if you're not 
following it very closely, they kind of start in September and end in July, right abouts. Yeah. And then we release a couple in the summer, just like best of compilations, and then we're back in the fall. And we do that to... Have babies. Have babies. Oh. Yeah, the last couple times <laughs> it was because children were born. But it's also because, you know, we we do this in our free time. We both have full-time jobs. And, you know, sometimes we need a break. Uh, but beyond that, actually, we do plan for the following seasons and get a lot of stuff ready. And actually, we already have stuff in the pipeline, some really cool interviews, actually stuff we've never done before on the show uh, lined up for season five, which we're really, really excited about. But for season four, I think it was our biggest season yet of the podcast, James, because we started out with the Olivia Jean extended interview of all the interviews we've done, that was the one that I was just like, are you serious right now? Like, even Brendan Benson, because, like, in the back of my mind, I thought, we're going to get you, mother <laughs> But, like, Olivia <laughs> Jean, I never thought. And then, and when we got that, so I was so excited. And, and Night Owl is such a good record. Olivia Jean kicked off season four of the Third Man podcast, James. That's wild. And a really fun uh, episode too. Uh, she is an amazing person and continues to remember us. Uh, <laughs> why we don't know. Quite a lot. But uh, but we're very we're very happy to uh, to to call her a friend of the show. Yeah. And so, then we followed yeah. that up with the Jacks opening acts solo featuring Isaiah Radke of the band Radke. Oh man, we had Radke yeah, on we had Isaiah season. on, and he was wonderful. And then I actually got to hang out with the whole band out here in LA when they were out here visiting and have lunch with them and stuff. And it was lovely. So that was great. We're going to have to have rad key back on the show, James. What do you say? Should we, should we poke the rad key folks? Just the cats. Just want the cats. Just the cats. We'll just get the cats. And so after that, we did analysis and review of help a stranger parts one and two in the, in between James's 30th birthday, uh, bonus episode, <laughs> which is super fun. Uh, help a stranger. Yeah, we we thought we were actually going to come back for season four with the help a stranger analysis and review, but then we had Olivia Jean dropped in our laps, and then Radke came along shortly after that. So we we're like, yeah, you know, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, but a new Raconteurs album is cool. <laughs> yeah, that new Raconteurs that we waited eleven years for. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> and then we had Bobby Harlow on for the first time, which again feels like a long time ago. <laughs> It feels like ages ago. <laughs> I feel like that was at my last house. Like yeah. I, I don't, rem- I don't even remember what we talked. about. It was a lot. I listened to it recently, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, but yeah, that we had that ghosts. I think we talked about ghosts. we did talk about ghosts, and then we had everything we've ever learned, which was like, I don't even remember. It was like, oh, th- was that the one where we went through like Yahoo Answers? Yeah, it was like and stuff? Yahoo Answers. It's one of like our top downloaded episodes. Like it's in our top. I want to say. It's really high up there. I think people, when they downloaded that, thought we were really going to go through everything we ever learned. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, they're just goofing off on Yahoo Answers. (laughs) I think that really solidified my... uh... My love of doing episodes that require no research. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after that, we had another huge interview. We had Lily Mae Rishi, who I got to hang out with here in LA again and record an interview with along with Frank Rishi and Scarlett Rishi. That was super fun. And then we did an album analysis of other girls, which is her second third man records 
studio album, which was released last fall, which we really love. And James, you got to do some bullets for that. I did. I forgot I got to do some Now Hear This style bullets. Yeah, that's what it was. And then we had the Jack White Trivia Challenge, Volume 2, and another great one that was super fun. <laughs> Again, solidifying <laughs> the no research episode, James. That season four, James, is laid back. Island time. Says he's, says he's going to, yeah, island time. <laughs> says he's going to research it. Does it. Pulls a Costanza, sleeps under the desk. Mm-hmm. And uh, comes at you with a quiz. It was good. It was a good one. And then we had uh, Hands of Time, our look back at 2019. And that episode wound up causing something that's going to come up in season five. The coronavirus. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That episode wound up causing something really cool that's going to come up in season five. So stay tuned for that. I'll just leave that that little tidbit there. And then we had a Jack Lawrence Secret Origin episode. And that was on um, on January 15th, and that was super fun. Now, with these Secret Origin episodes and the Spotlight episodes, we seem to be like uh, interview mancers summoning <laughs> guests for the show because we did do that with Brandon Benson and with Olivia Jean and with Lily Mae Rishi, and they both have eventually appeared, and, and Bobby Harlow via the go. They've all eventually appeared on the show. So we were hoping to interview Mance LJ onto our program. Who do, who do we have left, though, in that? Like, Pokey and Margo, I think. Pokey and Margo, two. yeah. Well, Margo's agent won't return two. my calls, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had uh, Sean Cannon, the uh, Striped Podcast host, extended interview, which I interviewed with him in a, in a bunker out here in L.A. It was, uh, let's call it steampunk. Um, yeah, we'll call it yeah. that. It's not. emphasis on the steam. It was really hot in there. Very steamy. Very yeah. steamy. But I was cozy. I was over here. That was fun. And then we did. Yeah. After that, we did three degrees. Another great James. Little <laughs> James. Little no James research. episode. Three degrees of Jack White, where we did we picked three people and we we did the Kevin Baconman game and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> And then we did the Lost White Stripes album, which turned out to be another one of our top downloaded episodes, which we did a lot of Unsolved Mysteries on this show. And I don't know if you've seen it, James, but the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix is super good. It's really... I heard it was great. I haven't James, seen it it's yet. so... It doesn't feel like Unsolved Mysteries anymore. It just feels like one of those, like... It feels like an expose style show, but episodic okay. in nature. And the only Robert Stack in it is you you do get his silhouette at the I saw the I saw that. A, a blog I follow, Dinosaur Dracula, they he, he was very happy with it and he was like, and the Robert Stack shout out. Then we had our highest downloaded episode ever. Pearl Jam and Jack White. The cat is taking a We had our highest downloaded episode, Pearl Jam and Jack White, has beat the pants off of every recorded download episode because we we have not recorded the accumulated totals of the before Pippa slash Acast time, the long, long ago. But in Mm. the modern era, that is our highest downloaded episode, and it featured a member of the Porch podcast. That was really fun to have her on and... You know, we had a blast doing that one, and I don't know. I just I, I feel like that one was a really good episode, James. It's you fine. Just did like a really good job with that. Oh, thanks. After that, we, we had uh, that was our okay, for our first 
post-pandemic episode was the Joe Ciccarelli extended interview, which would have possibly resulted in me getting walked around his cool fucking studio if it weren't for the pandemic that hit the world. <laughs> we did record it remotely, and things only got worse from there by the time of its release on March 25th, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then we decided to to really double down on the quarantine stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, we started our Lazaretto deep dive uh, with Lazaretto Part 1 and Lazaretto Part 2. Both of those were a real fun pair of episodes. That's where we were introduced to Dirk the Butt Dirk Guy. Dirk the Butt Guy was in those, that's true. I do love Dirk the Butt Guy, and uh, we were also joined by Now Hear This co-host, Ryan Brady, mm-hmm. uh, which was a real fun spark of energy into our uh, normally dull podcast. Yeah, that was super fun. <laughs> and we accelerated our second season of Now Hear This as well due to the pandemic. And that's been uh, a fun thing because I didn't think it was going to come out this soon. And yet here it is. And uh, at the time of this recording episode nine actually i think episode nine will be out in a couple days so if you're listening to this on the day of release we'll have episode nine out and whatever i'll spoil it uh in that episode episode nine we're going to be covering bruce springsteen's darkness on the edge of town and i'm really really excited about that one so everybody check that out this coming friday on the now here this podcast but james you skipped right over Trash Tongue Television, Volume 4, where we went over late night appearances of Jack White and Friends. Oh, my God. I forgot all about that. We had young master Katie Kubert, Dinosaur Digger. Katie joined us on the show and... um, Talked about Ed Tested our fences. Never... And looked at bugs in Ember. Never tried the same place twice. And... She remembers... Are there any we Katie's on this? We offered her a goat. Dinosaur tour. What's going to happen to the goat? There's a whole goat world <laughs> underneath the Jurassic Park. <laughs> There's one. Do you Did think, we even talk about this on the show? We've definitely talked about it on the show, but do you think that they like give them a good life under there or are they all chained up like is it like a goat disney world where they're just like all waiting in line all excited getting goat cotton candy and then there's like there's a goat ride that they're like this is the best ride and then that's the one where they go and see the what i'm saying is on isla numblar there does seem to be a goat population that they use of one. No, because no, we saw a goat in the first Jurassic World. So we know of at least two. But we, we think that they <laughs> they lure them out with the goats. What I'm saying is there's some guy whose job it is to be the goat master general of Is of Isla <laughs> Numblar. And he's living underneath with the goats, and what he's getting orders from Newman, who's saying, I need you yeah. to send a goat to elevator one and and all of the elevators james are death elevators if you put <laughs> it's it's basically that episode of star trek where they have the uh the weird disintegration exactly chambers. like that 
a taste of Armageddon. I you think put the, the goat on the episode. death elevator and hoist him up, and that T Rex is gonna eat it. And you know what's you know what's f***ed up about it all is <laughs> that guy. Think, it? There's they they could have added a button to like just have it go up, but no, they force him to actually hoist. Yeah, with a chain, the goat up and watch it as it I dies. I imagine he forms some kind of bond with these goats. He's raised those goats since they were embryos. They are also part frog. probably best that they die <laughs> oh, yeah they, they really they really chain them down for their that whole lives kind of like veal it's really that bad that fellow who's raising those velociraptors that we get back to in the jurassic world franchise really had a really had himself a heyday <laughs> he started as the goat why? man why was he making goats with frog dna is what i want to know because <laughs> We have we have regular goats. Like the T Rex isn't gonna be like, why isn't this thing hopping? I think I'm pretty sure well, what goats they needed hop. Anyway, what they needed, what they needed were goats with like that could that had could have possibly existed at the time of the dinosaurs. You're good. What I'm saying is these are these are monster goats. I'm gonna keep a lot of that in. After that, we did pop quiz. Which was supposed to be an exploration of a blues man. And then James had me drink an entire gallon of whiskey and sprung a pop quiz on me. And we had a fun time with that one. And then after pop quiz, which was wonderful, by the way, we had Brendan Benson of the Tours on the show. And that was a big one for us. We were really excited. That was what followed. That was what... <laughs> What was I thinking? Yeah. And then what did we follow that with? After Brendan, we did The Raconteurs of the Electric Lady, which is a great episode. We did some commentary. Oh, yeah. We really padded Brendan with some vamping. <laughs> we had... It's, if anyone thought we ran out of ideas, you're wrong. <laughs> and now we're ending the season with uh, the go for Black Lives Matter. And we're really excited to be ending it there. So thank you for joining us on this special look back at both season four of the Third Men podcast and the Jurassic Park franchise. <laughs> Specifically the strange goat world that they definitely have underneath. <laughs> that me and Paul, I think, are the only people who are theorizing about Oh, boy. And um, <laughs> as we do at the end of every episode, we'd like to uh, shout out our Patreon patrons. Thank you for everybody who has donated this season to help keep the lights on at the show here. We would like to thank um, Derek Ferguson of Forever Ferguson. We would like to thank Michael Brookfield, The Bone Brookfield, Tam Davis, our third person spirit every week, Luke Sinclair, Luke me over closely. James doesn't have the document open yet. Josh Aiken or Joe no. shaking all over. Melinda Taylor. T Melinda Taylor. Send me an angel down. We have Julia Hickling, the $3 hat mig. We have Stu Cat or Stu Driver. We have Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Hey, James has opened the document. We have Brenda Engelhart. I did it. We want to be the boys to warm your Engelhart. We have Yvette Wilkins. 
Wilkins on Sunshine. We have Brett Garski, the Brett 3 killed by Garski. We have Elizabeth Myers rolling in on a burning Myers or one-eye-one blank stare. Look it up. Myers there. We have Melinda Endress. You look pretty in your fancy Endress. And then we have Shane Ben Jamson, the Shane boy you've always known. So thank you, everybody, for uh, for doing that, helping us out, kicking us a couple dollars this season. So that's been really helpful. And actually, all of that money gets put back into the show. I just want everybody to know um, we use it to contribute to our hosting fees and i used it because my microphone died and i wound up getting a new uh, gear rig here which is used the maiden voyage was this episode we're really excited about that so thank you everybody for doing that because we're not doing this for money we're not doing this for anything other than to talk about our love for music and to keep making these shows for you and we were just really grateful that you're all out there enjoying them so thank you for that yeah is that a sharpie gate Draw, draw gate, drawn gate, drawn gate, <laughs> drawn gate. <laughs> if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us, you could do so in a number of ways, and we'd love to hear from you. And one of those ways is going on Facebook, and uh, you can go on facebook.com slash third men. It's a nice bastion of of peace and tranquility among Zuckerberg's weird, awful place that he built. Anyway. Uh, then there's Twitter. He built a bad thing. You can thing. find us on there. He built a bad thing. But you know what's a good thing is some of the communities uh, that, that surround music and Jack White specifically on there, and including Facebook.com slash Third Men. So you can check us out there if you'd like to and, and communicate with us there. You can go on Twitter at Third Mencast and uh, tweet at us. That's always fun. You can tumble on down with us at Tumblr. That's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on the web on our website that Joe Shaken otherwise known as Josh Aiken, built for us. Uh, well, he, he at least bought the domain for us. That's thirdmanpodcast.com. <laughs> the Jaws Gape? It's getting more... The Jaws, the it's Jaws are harder. gaping? <laughs> Jaws Gape? It's, eventually it's going to be so avant-garde that we'll have to think <laughs> of a rhyme to it's get the it Jaws, there. I the love Jaws it. Gape. It's the Jaws Gape. Anyway, you can email us directly. You can email us right at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Email us a question. We do listener questions occasionally. You could email us uh, pretty much anything you want. Just say hello. We love that. Anyway, uh, or opinions, which we can include in a segment called uh, Pancake Batter, if you have any opinions on uh, basically anything revolving around Jack White, Third Man Records, or our episodes do that you can find us on instagram at the third man underscore podcast where paul posts plenty of pictures that's a lot of plosives mm-hmm. uh and he posts a lot of pictures pertaining to episodes that we have done in the past we uh, found out that some people find the show through that and that's really cool it's really great hey if you email us or correspond with us in any way tell us how you found the show we'd love to know you can uh, also find us on our show host which is Acast. they used to be pippa now they're Acast. i love both equally i just want to see my kids that that's is sean, sean white and he broke him broke his face sean break <laughs> sean break i thought of that one when i was running this morning <laughs> i was like i'm gonna put that one up you can find us on youtube mm-hmm where occasionally I'll do a visualizer or a fun animation that's uh, 
youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. That's youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. You could rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher of choice, uh, but you could do so easily by going rate to rateus.thirdmenpodcast.com where you can rate the show. We appreciate every rating. We, we very much appreciate the five star ratings. Uh, over the years, we've run a variety of contests, and that's actually resulted in a lot of great ratings for the show. So thank you very much, everybody, for doing that. It really does help us. And if you would like to comment there, you know, leave us a nice note. You know, it'd be nice. We read all of them. We appreciate all of them. You know, we've this season, we explored the adventures of Teen Fertitta, Time Cop. I forgot about that in a way, except you, you, we got a new Teen Fertitta uh episode thanks to uh was it shane ben jamson yeah so shane ben jamson talked to us on twitter and said um the episode is teen fertita undercover at the electric lady our hero has to go undercover during a documentary shoot without being mentioned so he can solve the mysterious death of Jimi hendrix oh my so god that's a little extreme there but then we were batting the idea around a bit and I suggested perhaps Electric Lady is generating the 1.21 gigawatts our hero needs to travel back to solve the mystery, to which he replied, interesting twist. And the sound engineer, nicknamed Doc, happens to know how to help him. So, look, a lot of things are happening on our Twitter account, and we would like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Rountree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James, until next season, I mean, we'll see you. We'll see you on some best of episodes, but we'll be back in full swing at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. Until that point, James, I will be looking for a home inside the nice, warm, fall New Jersey blanket that is the second season of Pete and Pete, which everybody knows is the best season. You know what? You're right, and it is. And I will be looking for a home inside a nest of owls. Uh, but they don't. What they don't realize is that I'm in there creating a, a conspiracy against them. And every one of the owls in and you have been mixed with frog DNA. So you're all hopping. It's yeah. True. We'll see you next season, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Good. This is nice and okay. loose. I like okay. it. Nice Great. flow. Nice flow, James. An even flow, like the Pearl Jam. That's his nickname, the Double Powered Entity. See, why does yeah. everyone get a cool nickname but me? Uh, <laughs> Wait, James, you don't have a cool nickname yet. I don't have a cool nickname. Well, I, well, you're go, you're go guy, Bobby. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I'm the musical guest. That's 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 the <laughs> yeah, terrible that's nickname. That's the worst. <laughs> I'm really curious. I'm gonna write down this the name of this thing. I'm the uncle. I'm the Uncle Eddie to your Clark Griswold right now, Paul. Uh, because that sounds that sounds mighty fancy. Whatever you have there. The way I found that that's actually better for the waveforms. Uh, to sync everything up mm-hmm. is to do one, two, three, four, and then we both snap at the same time. And it removes the three, two, one, go, which I understand is a show staple. And that we have done the three, two, one, go like every time. All I'm saying is three, one, two, three, four does sync it very very evenly do i have to do the one two three four as well yeah well no but i should you can. you don't you don't have to do this we could do we could do three two one go no on. no you've got bold ideas <laughs> <laughs> it's been over 125 episodes and this is the first and either of us are saying it's not working. But you know what? No. <laughs> Do you want to try it or no? We could yeah. just try it. Why don't we try it once? Yeah, we'll just try it. <laughs> ready? I'm going to get my snapping fingers ready. One, two, two three, three, four. four. No, you don't have to. <laughs> You're throwing when you say it don't say it <laughs> so i just have to think it just <laughs> just follow the tempo of what i'm saying <laughs> i'm ready one two three four one two three four i don't I, think you're doing it right i did an extra one there <laughs> And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. (laughs) One, two, three, four. I feel like you're not doing it. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm I'm doing it. One, two, three, four. Do you think I'm not? <laughs> That's fine. Just go for it. Three. <laughs>